Welcome to Mental Wealth Entrepreneurs Podcast, a podcast for resilient entrepreneurs. My guest today is Victoria Davis, a co-founder of Avidity Sisters. Victoria is health and fitness coach, consultant, and sport nutritionist. She has overcome some personal health struggles like Tourette's syndrome and has built a very successful business, helping fitness professionals to fine-tune their brand strategy and turn their content into repeatable products. So let's welcome Victoria and listen to her story now. Hi, Victoria. Hi, Katerina. Great to see you and uh, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Yeah, I mean, uh, you are a nutritionist, you are a coach, uh, a consultant. Uh, you dedicate your work to help uh, wellness and fitness um, um, business owners. But you've had your share of ups and downs in your entrepreneurship journey. Can you just yeah. start from the beginning? How did it all start for you? <laughs> Yeah, I think it, I think it, it's been a crazy journey over the past 12 years at this point. And um, really, I think that it's, it's for me, it's, it was all about figuring it out, right? Like that's what being a serial entrepreneur is and finding yeah. things that I liked and thought that I should be doing it just because I was good at it or liked it didn't mean I should, but I had to figure that out. And so, yeah, I mean, the first thing I ever did as an entrepreneur was um, take my alternative allergy friendly um, baking skills that I learned in a really prominent bakery in New York City while I was in college and then um, moved to Guatemala um, and started my own bakery which started um, mobile and in that country because you know over a decade ago if people had food intolerances and allergies in the states there were some things but not that much. And yeah. Guatemala was way behind. And um, so I saw that opportunity and I seized it. But because, you know, I mean, I speak Spanish, I always have, but because I wasn't, you know, familiar with that culture as well as I could have been until I was living immersed in that for three years. Yeah. Um, having a mobile bakery there was really fun, but it was hard. You know, I had to learn to negotiate and I had to learn um, what worked and what didn't. And, and that ended up failing not because it couldn't have succeeded, but I just didn't, I didn't have the capacity to hire and to continue to grow. And I didn't know if I was going to be there full time and what that would look like. And honestly, it failed because there was a need, but there wasn't a huge desire for what I had. There was very few and far between at the time. Now it's a big thing. And so that was my first failed business. <laughs> well, well, you, 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 you say, well, it, there was a need, but it wasn't like a huge success because uh, there is a TED talk uh, of some, I can't remember the name The name of the guy. He did a research about, you know, what are the key factors um, that contribute to the success of a small business. And, and sometimes we think, oh, it's because the idea is bad or because, you know, there is we don't have a team of people working on the idea or the, the cash is, is the problem. But 
he found that the timing is everything. Yeah. The idea might be great, but the market might not be ready for that idea. Yeah. And that looks like, because now everyone is raving about, you know, healthy this, healthy that. But back then, people just didn't understand they needed it. Yeah. And, yeah, it was just the wrong timing, it looks. Yeah, like I had early adopters. Like I had certain people. It's yeah. interesting in that in that culture because people who could afford it were obviously, there's such a class system there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so I had my largest supporters had had their own restaurants and were looking for alternative recipes. But even still, they might be, let's say they were vegan, but they weren't mm -hmm. healthy. And so it was just like this really, there were these nuances, like you said. And so, yeah, they weren't ready for it or they thought they knew what they wanted and yeah. needed and they really didn't. So I, I had a hard time establishing a presence that was sustainable. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's good that you didn't kind of transfer this failure into your personal sort of, you know, I am a failure. It just right. so you so you were able to pivot and 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 change the direction, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I was pretty stubborn and wanting to figure something out while living in that country, and so I ended up creating a boot business, which I still have product for and sell here and there, which is fun. It's not something that I, you know, I don't dedicate my life to that, but I got to hand design and create boots with some, some local artisans and then sell them. And just because I liked fashion, I thought that, okay, I can do this. And my heart was totally not in that. Um, but again, you I learned some boots with cupcakes on them. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. But I learned that industry and realized, okay, like this isn't gonna work out, you know. But but that was a whole other animal that I to this day now I understand sort of the whole fair trade thing. I understand the back end of what it looks like to have you know e-commerce platform with with you know, when you're shipping international goods and it, yeah. there was a lot to take on with that. And I realized this is not for me. Yeah. So what did you learn uh, during your second, uh, second venture? What did you learn? Did you learn something you didn't know before uh, when you did your allergy sort of recipe? Um, business yeah. Yeah. I mean, I learned so many things, but I think again, sort of the biggest thing was just because I think an entrepreneur needs to really understand that there's two ways to look at entrepreneurship, right? Like I, when it comes to taking an idea and running with it, you have to be able to detach from the idea emotionally mm -hmm. in order for it to succeed, it, you know, in a lot of ways, because I was too attached to the boot business emotionally. And because I wasn't passionate about it, I didn't want to do it. And so I could have taken that vision and translated it and handed it off to somebody else. And that could have been successful. But um, because in that space, I felt like there's something wrong because I don't want to do this, then it doesn't count. And it was just another failed venture. Mm -hmm. And then look, looking back, though, I realized, no, it was a great idea. It would It could have been a lot bigger of a success than it was. Had I just handed it off to someone who had a passion for it, you know, and I think that at the end of the day, yes, being an entrepreneur in that space, what I learned was if I'm going to be behind it 100%, I need to have a deep heart connection to what I'm creating. But if not, I need to be able to recognize that this is not my baby and I can pass yeah. it off to someone else. And I didn't do either of those in that in that experience. So yeah. I learned the hard way with that, but I'm really thankful that I learned that. 
Yeah. So what was uh, what was the next sort of step uh, after the boot business? Uh, what did you do next? So I kind of hit rock bottom financially, emotionally, all those yeah. things. Um, I was in that country, really not sure what I was going to do next. Um, and so I just went back to the basics and I knew that there was something I could, you know, bring to life that connected my personal journey and story with having Tourette syndrome as a kid and having to navigate life in this alternative way with food and, and helping people, you know, honestly with resilience in the, in their personal journeys. But I just, I let it go. I just kind of killed it. I let that, those dreams die. And so <laughs> I went back to, I grew up in Austin, Texas, and I went back there and got a really great, but terrible job at the same time um, because of the hours and the craziness in the music industry. Cause that's what I studied and whatever my whole life. Yeah. And um, I should have known better. I shouldn't have done that to myself. And I stayed there but I learned to really be a good steward of the opportunities that I had in the past. And I, and it really forced me to dream again, you know, cause I was like, wow, I studied this and I do not want to be here hating every minute of it. Yeah. I'd much rather be broke and doing something I love than be here and miserable. So that was like the kind of the, the breakdown yeah. <laughs> moment. Yeah. Um, and from there, I ended up just deciding, okay, what tools do I need in order to make another business and have it be successful? Like what, what is already, what am I already gifted at? What am I already skilled at? What do I already know? And how can I use all my training to create something? And so I kind of, what I had to learn as an entrepreneur in this space was taking the pressure off. Um, I think that there's a fine line between you know, if somebody else is paying me and they're dictating my payment terms, then it doesn't count. And I had to let go of that notion while I was building um, what I do now. And so what I did was I got all of the required certifications and education yep. on the back end to go along with the vision that I have. Right. And so with this space of health and wellness consulting now where I get to health and wellness consult people like me actually build their own businesses and brands. And then sometimes corporations designing and implementing wellness programming for their company's unique culture. I couldn't do that without being in the trenches and willing to let somebody else show me. And that was really hard for me because I could, I had a vision and I could tell them that you're doing this wrong. And, but I, that wasn't my place. So kind of a long winded answer to your question. <laughs> um, yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. Did you? So did you have? Uh, did you have nine till five job then? Did you have like a corporate job before? So what I did was, yeah. After I was in the music industry, which was not nine to five, it was all day. Um, mm -hmm. I ended up figuring out, okay, how can I take the pressure off? How can I breathe a little bit? Let me just get into you know, back into the career space that I want to be in, like the world I want to create, and I need to plug myself into that world. I'm not going to get there by being in the music industry. So what I did was I took on a bilingual health coaching job. Okay. And it was, I loved it because it was flexible and autonomous in the sense mm -hmm. that I traveled all the time with it. I coached 
Um, I was in the state of Arizona and I coached all around the state. Um, I was able to kind of coach however I wanted and, um, you know, really kind of help just kind of bring my own style into it. So I had to learn, you know, how, how am I going to show up? What do people need? Um, so it's kind of like that Malcolm Gladwell, the 10,000 hour rule thing, you know, like I, I couldn't expect to have a business that would be successful and be an expert in it if I didn't have boots on the ground. And so that type of job was not typically nine to five. So I thrived in that as an entrepreneur. Right. But I had to set my own schedule and be self-disciplined. And, and so that was the first step to really understanding how can I be a good steward of the work that's given me, the accounts that are given to me, and how can I create something and watch it grow and manage it? Because I was in charge of watching these accounts grow and the coaching grow. Yeah. 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 But but now you you are a nutrition coach and, and your heart seemed to be in it, right? So... But you also you also kind of overcome uh, your personal sort of um, you know problem having Tourette's when you were a kid, mm-hmm. and 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 yeah, that 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 just inspiring in its own right, right? Uh, how how did you manage to do it? Because it it wasn't easy for you, right, when you were a kid. No, um, it's funny. I didn't realize how difficult a lot of kids that have Tourette syndrome. Yeah. how difficult that is until I did my own interview series on it a couple of years ago. And I realized how blessed I was and how different my life was. Um, I had the diagnosis. I got the diagnosis when I was seven and um, it was incredibly distracting for me. You know, it was distracting for all my family members, my friends, my schoolmates. Um, and my dad raised me himself And so he implemented dietary changes. Now, knowing now and really getting into the weeds of this, there's a lot more that just that goes along with it than just that. But the nutrition aspect was life changing for me. It took about two years for my tics to basically completely dissipate. But but I had a responsibility and I don't know where that came from. But as a kid, I was on board and it's carried into my adulthood. I I just wasn't willing to compromise because I knew that if I eat something or do something that a lot of people don't really think twice about and take for granted, it will affect my entire day, you know? And so I learned that the hard way as a kid. I, it was funny. I was thrown into um, like situations with my mom to where she didn't really know what to do with it. And I ate whatever I wanted. It was over overstimulated with electronics and stuff. And then I'd go home and it would be awful because it would have an effect. Um, And so knowing that and really experiencing the backlash and getting made fun of and bullied in school, um, I ended up just deciding I'm going to take this, you know, I know I'm by that point I was 10 to 12. I didn't really fully understand things, but I just knew I didn't like how I felt. And uh, so that started that journey, you know, but it was, it's it's a day, it was a day in day out consistent thing. And then figuring out other ways to channel what I call the nervous energy that comes with it. Like I, I had to figure that out for myself and it's took a long time. So. But what, what, what caused it? Uh, Cause you were just seven. Did you say you were seven? What what, what caused it? Cause it's, it's, I am interested in, you know, the mental health. Yeah. uh, 
in kids as well. And I, I am researching it and I've got my own little one and I'm trying to teach him how to be resilient from a very early age. But yeah, it just what's what's causing this to happen to kids? What do you think? What, what, what triggered it? Yeah, so you're going to get the very, very, not bad, but science side that just says it's just genetic. And that is true. But think about the fact that genetically we're so predisposed to a lot of things, you know? And so I think that because of environmental toxins and the way our food is now prepared and processed, especially in the United States, um, those things that happen generationally, right? What our grand, like, I mean, my great grandparents and grandparents had farms in Ohio and the Carolinas and, you know, the rich soil and they didn't have these problems, but when everything gets overly sanitized and overly regulated and um, we embody stress and we don't get sunshine, it weakens us. It weakens our immune system and our, you know, how we are structurally genetically. And so, I think that, yes, there's an element of it being hereditary, but I also think that I wasn't born with the way like a super strong immune system or I think really linking it to leaky gut and having gut issues because there's that whole whole gut brain access and everybody talks about that and us now finding out that so much of what's going on up here starts in your gut. And I think that ADD and ADHD are definitely part of that group then they just get ignored yeah yeah but it's amazing you you've you you fixed this problem just through well nutrition right was a was a large part of it and i mean your story is amazing because again and it's so motivational and i i, I can understand why why you are successful now because <laughs> you've got a story you know it's your authentic you right with all that story and all that struggle and then finding that solution that's not a medication it's 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 just changing your nutrition it's 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 amazing yeah thank you and it it really was and it's still something today that I have a handle on but I think that what I've learned too is that because I was developing through those years and you know you develop till you're 25 pretty much but um really it's so crucial at that time of when you're a kid that because we got ahead of it then my body wasn't nearly as impacted as it could have been. I don't know how bad my symptoms could have been, but what was, and yeah, food was everything. I mean, removing caffeine and stimulants and sugar and processed anything. Those were like the four things that helped me thrive. And we didn't know anything about gluten and dairy then. I mean, you know, and they're starting to to show that that's got a direct connection, but um, also too, I think what is really important with that, is um, developing the discipline of figuring out how my body is wired differently and, and allowing it to move more freely. So for example, there, again, people don't know that anxiety and depression are often linked to Tourette syndrome and it's because of multiple things, right? You're uncomfortable with yourself. um, And there's a lot of executive functioning and processing things that go, that come along with it too. Mm -hmm. And until you're educated on that, you don't know how to handle what you're feeling. And so I learned the discipline of physically training my body with endurance racing, you know, to to channel that stuff. So people might think it seems extreme or it's a lot, but it's I know what I need to really thrive and focus, you know. Yeah, no, I mean, it's it's, it's, things I mean, 
this platform is all about destigmatizing the you know mental health issues and and just having a you know it's it's a platform to share uh, you know stories like like this and i think your story is just it's going to be uh, motivational for a lot of listeners out there because it's just it, it's amazing what you do but you know going back to your sort of the beginning of your yeah being and uh, being a nutritional coach um you know when you just started because you started with your sister right is it yeah yeah and uh, in the beginning of this uh the beginning of 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 your st- well can you call it startup right your, your, your <laughs> business uh did you uh did you have any challenges did you have any challenges that you had to overcome and how did you overcome those challenges yeah so this is in my industry in particular you have to be so clear on your niche in order to grow at all. And I think that that's obviously true for any business, but especially in health because it's multi-trillion dollar industry. It's insane. Yeah. And so that's, that's my point. It's a very saturated industry and there are so many coaches and, and fitness professionals. How do you stand out? How do you differentiate yourself? Yeah. Right. So first, because I worked with my sister and we co-founded the business, we yeah. thought that we would We were both vegan. I was vegan for 10 years and I'm not anymore. And we were both plant-based at the same time. And we both, both were doing endurance racing together. So we thought we would coach people on those two things that did not work for us. It, 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 even though that was really a niche and super specific and people knew exactly if we wanted high performance plant-based endurance coaching, that's super specific. And we had a lot of clients and But I just knew that that wasn't what I was passionate about. And so we kept, we first started with, you know, we just provide um, coaching, like health coaching in general. And again, people come to you with one desire or need. And just because you can meet it doesn't mean you should. Or what I figured out was people are asking me things and think that I offer a certain service and I don't, you know, like they're coming to me um, with disease management and prevention. And while I can coach on that, like my heart's not there and I don't really specialize in that or weight loss. You know, I was like, mm-hmm. I don't specialize in that. And so we, so what do you do? Do you just turn them down or? So no, we took them, but if I would refer them or I would take them and use it as a learning platform. And, mm-hmm. um, but that was really hard because I kept thinking, I know I'm good at this and I know how people are getting help, but our business isn't growing the way that I want. And I realized because it was like, it just, it was not in line with a, what I really believed to who I was really supposed to be serving. Cause I know, I believe every single person is called to a subset of people and um, yeah, it, it was really hard. And so we were too afraid to get niche clarity for a while. And so we kept falling and we still made money though along the way. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we got into that whole, like I was saying before, the niche, so the super specific niche with the plant-based endurance training. But that, figuring that out, that's my sister's love. It's her calling. She's great at it. She's really gifted in that space. And um, then I realized, you know, along the way, I didn't like one-on-one coaching as much as I thought I did. And, <laughs> you know, Katarina, it's kind of funny to say I give this number because you'd think that I would know by now, but I've probably coached at this point. My, my paper says 5,000. I'm thinking at this point, it's 6,000 or so sessions. 
and of one-on-one coaching over the years. And people might look at that and think, wow, that's amazing. It is. And it brought me joy, but I realized I was, Mm. there's just something wrong. There was something off. And I think I learned that. And I want people to know this. It's, it's, resilience means still sticking to it, even if you don't want it to, you know what I mean? It's like, for me, what I learned in this process, I actually, I actually, <laughs> say it, say it. Yeah. Resilience isn't developed by just putting your head down and waiting for things to be over. No. It's learning to be, uh, I think it's to rest and, and, and joyful, even when you can't see the next step. I mean, how brilliant is this? This should be in the book. Yes. No. So there's, there's this, there's this guy I listened to. He's actually, um, where is he from? He's from the UK. His name's Graham Cook. And he has this audio training called the way of the warrior. And he talks about that. And he says, warriors don't look for a way out of the battle. They look to stay in it. And they, they, like look to be joyful and happy. They're not looking at the end. They're not waiting to get out of it. And I'm like, oh man, that's <laughs> it's the process, right? It's not the result. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. So I think that you cannot have authority, rather, you cannot be an expert unless you have fallen on your face because you won't know how to relate to people. You just won't. And that's what I learned in the health business was. I came in bright-eyed and bushy-tailed and thinking that, you know, I'm going to coach on just health coaching. And then I got really specific and niche and realized for me, the secret sauce was not in the one-on-one health coaching. It was in coaching coaches on how to develop and brand and break through the mindsets and the barriers and fears that I dealt with, you know? Falling on your face. Aren't you afraid to fall on your face? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you know, I am. And I think that I mean, I'm sure you can relate to this. I think that you are afraid until it happens. And then you look back and think, okay, that wasn't that bad. And so there's always, I always say there's always a a new grace. Like there's always a new, you get to this mountain, but then there's the next one. And it's just an invitation. It's just an opportunity to fail forward. And I, instead of like you just said, putting your hand in the sand and giving up, I've learned that the hard way that failure or obstacles are not there to stop you they're there to challenge you to grow and when when you could say i can do this then you're kind of you know yeah but you see for a lot of uh solopreneurs i mean imposter syndrome is something they have to deal with right oh yeah you know like how, how how do i appear to be an expert if you think deep inside you know am i really an expert you know um how have you ever had any doubts about being an expert or every day, every day, (laughs) because, because I think that there's that one famous quote that says something about you need to share your message and your story. Otherwise other people will write it for you or something like that. Um, Mm -hmm. I think the biggest problem with solopreneurs or entrepreneurs is that we try to fit into other people's expectations versus what we know to be true in our heart. And yes, there are methods and tactics and strategies with business, but if just because you're the only, this is what I would have to say to that, just because you might be the only person in your, in your industry that has a dream and an idea 
doesn't mean it's wrong. It just means that you get the opportunity to be a pioneer. And I, and I think that that was the biggest lesson that I had to learn. You know, it's like, okay, well, I'm going to be just niche enough so that I can be competition. I was too afraid of really kind of getting out there on the fringe because I felt like I'll never be able to serve anyone because no one's going to get it. And while that's true in a little bit, yeah, that was just me being listening to those fears, you know, and, and thinking that no one's really going to, you know, work with me because I might be too out there for them or whatever that was. Yeah. yeah. But you see, it, it's just when you start and I, I had two, two failed businesses, but yeah, <laughs> but you know what? All these doubts, they kind of start, uh, you know, popping into your head when you're not making some sales so, or something yeah. doesn't quite work. And this is when your internal critic starts telling you, oh, you know, you're not doing this right or, you know, and stuff like that. How do you get rid of these voices in your head? Yeah, that's a really good question. Yeah. Um, well, honestly, for me, it's that has to do with my faith, like personally, like that for me, I've, I've literally experienced supernatural miracles in my life in more ways than one. So for me, having that alignment um, has allowed me to speak to those fears really honestly. Like that, that was the biggest thing that I had to do was, I don't know, I think, sorry, I'm kind of going on a tangent here, but really it was, I got really radical with the comparison game. So what I mean by that is I stopped uh, using social media for a while and really just developed my business because what I was doing is I was allowing other people's successes to hold me back, right? Like you just said, thinking that I have to do things a certain way and listening to those voices. Those voices stopped when I stopped giving them power by not entertaining them through the channels where they like to attack me. And so... That's um, a good point. Yes. Thank, th thanks for that. Yeah. You, I, th I think you're just spot on because again, you know, you just, there is a constant stream of information and there is a constant stream of advice from everybody and anybody and shiny, shiny, what, what's, what's it called? Gosh. Um, shiny object syndrome. Shiny object syndrome. This is quite it's a common thing, right? You just think, oh, I need this. Or someone is telling you, oh, you're not doing Facebook Live, so you're not doing this, or, or you should be doing videos and blah, yeah. blah, blah. But it's just you, right? It's just, what do you do? How do you prioritize? How do you know what to do next if you have so many people around you telling you you should be doing this, you know, should be implementing this strategy and that strategy? How do you prioritize? How do you know what to do? Yeah, that's Listen a really to good question. Hmm. Yeah, I, I mean, that's my biggest thing is I really turn off the noise intentionally and I listen to myself and I, what I've done is I'll take old school scrap paper and write out the process of how I know I can get somebody from A to Z in transformation, right? So first I do that and that is without any extra, you know, noise. There's people who I trust in my inner circle who I will share that with and bounce that off of. So they can help me refine it. But first I sit there without looking online and thinking, what do I have to say? How do I do this? I just do it that way. And then I, what I've always done is I've identified the mediums that I like and I feel the most comfortable in. So for me, kind of like you, I like speaking. I like video. So I realized that I think email marketing is important and having a list to connect with. 
I doesn't mean I have to write huge emails. I could cut videos and send it to them, you know? So, so for me, it was really going back to the basics of knowing this is the process that I have that I can deliver on. This is how I show up best for myself and for other people. And then that allowed me to figure out, okay, all of these other platforms that are saying I need to be on them. I don't need to be on them. You know, also the other thing I did, I've always done too, is figuring out where does my audience live? And, um, once I kind of had learned that, you know, with health and business or health and fitness professionals, um, the actual coaches, a lot of them are on social media, but we're, we're talking about businesses. A lot of them are on LinkedIn. Mm, so, okay. so I had to really say, okay, I'm going to pick you know, one for each group and stay away from everything else and not worry about it. I think for me, what I've learned is consistency and the ability to have those big horse blinders on is the yeah. only way that you can, you know, I love, I love that analogy. <laughs> you, you have to have them on. You have to, because you're right. There's yeah, it's, it's, you cannot be in all places at all times and you don't need to be on all these different platforms and it's, they're just distracting and it causes stress. And especially when you're just starting out or being a solo entrepreneur, you, you're spend, you'll spend much more time focused on creating an image versus actually having connection where the sale happens. And half the time you don't even need to be online to have sales. It's just crazy. Like, you know, as if you can have a good connection like this, sometimes it converts into a crazy good deal for both of you. So that's kind of what I would say. Yeah, no, no, no. Yeah, I, I just like something popped in my mind. It's just like a couple of years ago, I put, I, I bought this sort of not click funnel, but very similar sort of thing. And recently I was just like, oh, I, I forgot that I had that. <laughs> I've done that. I never used it, so I better bloody use it. <laughs> yeah. Well, do you feel like this, Katarina, when you life just gets on its way and you just think oh someone advised you oh you have to have this you have to have that yes. and then you just end up just doing nothing in the end right yes yes I've bought packages for my business and I don't even know they're just sitting in my inbox I don't use them yeah. Yeah. Just, and yeah. I think that we have that it's the same with it's the same with your health just because you sign up with a coach doesn't mean you're going to see results it's the same with your business yes. Yes, it's true. It's true. Gosh, yes, it's so true. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, you what's in your view? You know, in your view, uh, what is the biggest mistake uh, all starting sort of solopreneurs make when when they just kind of in that you know start up a business? Everyone is just like joyful and yes, we have a great idea. What is the biggest mistake in your view people make when they start the businesses? Well, I think fear is the voice that everybody listens to. And that's the biggest mistake is listening to that. If you know you're good at something and you have a process or a service that you can deliver on, chase that like no other and have conversations. I think everybody thinks the fear, what happens and that what translates into the practical, actual biggest mistake is we spend too much time investing in branding and website creation and getting the perfect image and you could be having conversations and sharing who you are and what you do. Um, people don't really care if what your website looks like, if you can't deliver, it doesn't matter. You know, if you build it and they will come is the thing in entrepreneurship just because you, you can, anybody can create a website now. So I think that that's the biggest problem is 
thinking that you have to have everything looking perfect um, before you actually launch, you don't. You know, I just think you don't really have you don't suffer from perfectionism, are you? <laughs> say what? What you say? <laughs> You're not a perfectionist, then, are you? A recovery. Well, you recovered one. Recovered. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, because I figured out that by trying to be in the box, that it didn't allow me to figure out where I was supposed to go. So, like I was saying, you know, because I thought I was supposed to be in this particular niche with my sister it actually made me realize that it, it cut off all the opportunities of where I could have gone much sooner, you know? And so, but again, I figured it out along the way I, I had to try. And I think that that's what I was trying to say. If you, if you kind of see, okay. So for example, if you kind of see yourself wanting to do, I don't know, like, how do I explain this? You're not exactly sure what to offer people, but you know that there's one thing you can deliver on. Keep testing that out until you figure it out along the, the way. That's, that's I think, the biggest mistake we have is we don't start because we're worried that it's not going to be, it's going to be the only thing that we have to do the rest of our life. <laughs> I think yeah. that that's the biggest issue. Yeah, no. <laughs> but uh, you know, Avidity Sisters, you are uh, you are co-founder, right? Mm -hmm. And you work with your sister. I mean, from our conversation, you have such a strong vision. You are very passionate. You know what you want. Uh, how do you work with your sister? Does she share the same vision with 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 you? So that's what's hard. And I also think it's really important for those of you who <laughs> listening to really understand um, business partnerships are really intense and it's hard to do it with your family. My sister and I are super, super close, but she's not business savvy. And she'll tell you that she her strong suit is getting in front of people and connecting with people. So my sister is great with sales and great with delivering, but creating the business, having long-term vision, getting in the weeds of it, you know, marketing, any of that is not her thing. So what we learned the hard way was for two, two and a half years, we tried to split everything up 50-50. No, that doesn't work like that. You know, you have to, it, it, it helped me in the future when I started hiring people to really understand who I was hiring and why and what, you know, what for. Um, so we still have the, we have a really happy partnership now to where I'm officially, we're co-founders, but I'm the CEO and she coaches under me and she doesn't worry about any of the back end. That's all she does. She just shows up for the client, delivers, and she'll bring leads because she has conversations with people and that's great. And then I do everything else. So by trying to put on her in the beginning, you know, you need to know how to do this technical aspect and this and that. Mm -hmm. No, she didn't. And that actually held us back because of the fact that we both felt like we needed to have enough skin in the game together. And there were things that she, A, never needed to learn and B, just was not naturally good at. And that's okay. And the same with me, you know? So that's kind of how things went with us. Yeah, because why I'm asking is that there are, there are you know, people who think that, well, you need to bring co-founder on board because it was, you, you, you know, you will bring different skill set and different yeah. things, you know, party. But uh, 
there's also an opinion. I mean, I think I've read it somewhere. I don't know. Mike Mikhailovich, you know, the toilet paper interpreter. I think it was that book. And he was just, I think he dedicated the whole chapter to talk, uh, talking about, you know, co-founders and stuff like that. And he just said that your business at the end of the day is to make you happy. You don't want another J-O-B, right? You want your business to make you happy. That's why you're working with clients that make you happy and you want to almost like multiply the, the best. You, you kind of look at the top of the clients who bring you less hustle, <laughs> less grief and, and most amount of money. And then you almost like multiply those customers and you go after that group of customers to make you happy, right? Because yeah. why, why to work with miserable people? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, which which is a great point. And then he just kind of uh, carried on talking about, you know, co-founders and, uh, and that it, the problem with co-founders that they can steer your vision towards their vision, right, yes. of, of the business. And then that that's always a dilemma when it comes to, yeah, it's great to have a co-founder because you share all your workload and, and you know, you bring lots of skills and, uh, to the party. But then it, there is also another side uh, to it. And it kind of works for you, right? So yes. Yeah. Sister. You're right, though. That's such a good point, Karina, because I had such a big vision and we would butt heads because... Uh-huh. She she she's really good at what she's really good at. And she knew what she wanted to coach on. But yeah. I saw so much more opportunity in how we could do it. And so until we had that conversation of I'm the executive now, I, I, I'm in the CEO, basically, we made that decision. And she loves that. She's happy with that. She wants that. She doesn't want the responsibility of casting vision. She doesn't want the responsibility of navigating where the company is going to go. And that also gives me the freedom to continue to drive towards what I know is in my heart and the path that I'm on. And then always say, hey, there's this client who I really don't want to coach or who we could still serve. Uh, you want to take them? Or I need help with building out this type of program. Shoot that that's where she shines. And if I was so stuck on, we have to partner 50, 50 and everything. Mm -hmm. I think the business would have gone completely under because it almost did because of that at one point, or uh, it would have really hurt our relationship. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. When we (laughs) family, (laughs) yeah. Yeah. I mean, I I wouldn't go uh, into the business with my family. You're smart. Well, I don't know. I think we just said we have different views of the world. I think, right? <laughs> yeah, we love each other, but yeah, we all have our own sort of <laughs> visions. But uh, no, it's 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 um, yeah, interesting conversation <laughs> about co-founders. But uh, you know, just going uh, back to the um, you know the mental wellness of things. Uh, you know, it's it's you are a CEO of the company. It's uh, and like you said, you know, you you are in charge of operational stuff. You know, you have a vision, and you you know you put probably more work than um, anybody else in 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 the business. How do you how do you how do you relax? How do you um, safeguard your mental health? How do you stay healthy? Uh, how do you reduce the overwhelm of running a business? Yeah, um, it's a really great question. And it's something I cannot emphasize enough. I, I mean, two things is one, I have to practice what I preach in my industry. So my clients look at me and they want to model a lot of what I do because they are 
building what I've built basically. And if I don't know how to answer that in a good way, then I shouldn't, then I am an imposter. Um, Mm -hmm. So what I've learned is to have some very rigid, unshakable boundaries in my schedule. And by that, I mean, um, I had to figure out what my priorities in life were first and actually get those out on paper. So for me, that's, that is my, my, my relationship with my families first, always then my business and then everybody else and everything else comes after. Um, one, so one establishing those boundaries Two has been literally creating a schedule with additional space in it to live, to enjoy, to create, um, And so, for example, typically Fridays have shifted now, but I only do things like this on Friday or I'm writing a book right now and I'm only doing that. I won't allow anything on my calendar to get there unless it's family time, because that's the most important for me. So any business opportunity, I don't really care how good it is. Uh, it's sorry, it doesn't get the space and being really intense about that has saved me. Um, the other thing that I do too, is I've learned where my energy lies. And by that, I mean, if I have, if I'm low energy in the afternoons and if I, you know, can't have a great face-to-face conversation with people, then I shouldn't be working. And so I really plan my schedule around how I feel and my, my output, not when people are available, you know, then if, if it's really going to work out, then they'll be available whenever, um, my schedule says. And so I think that that's sort of one of the, the biggest things is that, um, I really try to, you know, um, only, take on clients certain times of the day. And I really focus on letting myself have time. And for me, what that means is like Monday through Thursday in the mornings is my time for fitness, to create, to just rest, to think, to process, to look at the day. And then around 1030 and later is when I get into the weeds of stuff. If I don't do that, I, I don't, show up well for myself and I'm not very fun to be around and the rest of the day kind of goes by the wayside. So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's funny you mentioned, we actually discussed this yesterday. Uh, I was um, talking to a, an energy coach, energy mm. management coach. And uh, yeah, and we, we had this interesting discussions, you know, time management versus energy management and it's all about you know managing your energy really because time time doesn't matter right because no. you can if you are in the flow right you can achieve so much more in a short period of time when you're the most energized basically yeah that's all it is and uh, a lot of people think oh you know, we need to manage our time and actually you need to manage your energy yeah so yeah, that that's a good point. But you know what? What is sort of your vision? Uh, your vision for the future? I mean, uh, I, I have to touch on this. We are in a COVID pandemic still, <laughs> right? And um, I how how the business has been so far uh, during COVID? Are there are more? Is there a more de- demand for um, from people because of COVID? And and how do you see? This, you know, how do you see the future? What, what What's happening in the future? Yeah, that's a really good question. I, I see that 
What's interesting is really dialing in on helping coaches actually be, it's funny, resilient in, in their business and not letting it, the pandemic take them down. So I think that what I have learned in this process is that, um, my, my conversations with people just look a little bit differently. Like sales calls just look a little bit different because um, there's a lot of doubt and fear. But what I've really learned is that, and what I've seen is that it's a really great time to rebrand yourself and pivot and meet new niches or meet new needs. And so much of it is, especially in corporate health and wellness, is now centered on flexibility and remote learning and working, and then everything from mental and social health. That's really where everything is. And I think that um, if coaches can kind of pick a hot spot in there that they're really passionate about and know enough about and have experience in, not just Mm -hmm. that they see a need, right? And I can help them pivot and dive headfirst into that, they'll see success. Same thing um, that I've learned is, you know, with my vision where it's going is, with the corporate wellness, you know, I speak at conferences and and things like that. And I've just had to learn to change my language and my messaging and that's okay. And I think that, um, it's again, it's an opportunity to completely redefine what health and wellness looks like. And, um, so that's sort of where I've been right now is again, getting knocked down and not helping people with maybe, typical things that I would with their business, but really kind of helping them completely refocus and rebrand and reset and figure out how they can redefine what they do and they offer. And that's kind of been the journey. Yeah. No, I'm a corporate wellness. I think it's very, it's, it's very topical, isn't it? Because <laughs> oh, there's yeah. more, more people just, yeah. I mean, <laughs> if we're in the second wave, then yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll see. I, I mean, they already said, uh, 5.5 million people in the UK that in the need of some kind of a mental health um, yeah. help. Uh, yeah. So, so yeah, everything, you know, it, it's not easy. I mean, you just, mm-hmm. <laughs> I was, because uh, I'm a full-time academic at the university and today I was very saddened. I mean, I saw this cafe totally empty. They just shut it down and it's just like, where is all the people, you know, and just it's it has to be bad for you, for you to, to actually see there's no one around and, you know, it's, it all the businesses are shutting down. It's it's not easy. So I guess, yeah, uh, there'll be more emphasis on, you know, keeping yourself healthy through nutrition, through, uh, you know, well wellness and, 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 and so on, through physical exercises to keep mm-hmm. yourself more physically um healthy and, and mentally healthy as well because again mental health is very connected to the physical health yeah, yeah. you're right i mean what i found the most is mental health has to come first it's the whole it's the whole mindset really but actually learning strategically what that looks like you know i i've so for example like i might used to speak on Maybe sometimes I used to speak on things like using, okay, you know, developing wellness programming for your clients that fits with your passion and your vision. Okay. But, but now I might be speaking to somebody how to find your weapons of warfare in your business, or for example, like using joy as a weapon. And so you can continue to build that business of your dreams. It's like, oh, that has to do with 
what's going on up here? How can I attack that first and yeah, then build psychology? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. yeah. Right. Okay. Well, I, mean, I, mean, I I can talk to you for, <laughs> for hours. I think we have fun. Job. It's just. Yeah, it's, it's it's such a pleasure talking to you. You and, too. Uh, yeah, you just radiate all this wellness and happiness, and 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 you're so determined and and have this vision. And I think solopreneurs need to figure out what the vision is because this is, this is something that is going to drive them through you know through the difficult times and and uh, towards that vision and 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 find the right answers. But uh, just to wrap up. Um, Obviously, you know, our audience are female entrepreneurs. What advice can you give them? Maybe one lesson you can teach them. Um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, really, I think you just kind of said it, and we talked about it, but I'll just reiterate it, is that listen to the dream. It sounds silly, but it's not. Listen to the dream inside your heart and define your vision so clearly that you can look at what you, that you know what that looks like today. Like if you had that vision in front of you and you wrote it out so specifically and make sure that your dream is resonating with that and connected to that, that's going to give you so much more clarity on where you're supposed to go versus where you think you're supposed to go. You know, it allows you to cast off all of the should I, could I things. Mm -hmm. And I would just say, listen to that dream, put it in front of you. Do not be afraid of it. Do not run from it and write out, you know, how can I get there? And if I don't know, that's okay. But maybe then write out what your life will look like or could look like when you're living in that space. And everything else will start to point towards that because you have the guiding light, you know, versus just saying, I have this dream, but I don't know what to do with it. If you just allow it to come to life and don't get too attached to the expectation of when and how, it'll happen. Yeah, definitely find your biggest why <laughs> and everything will fall into places. Yeah. 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 No. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you so much, Victoria. Thank you for sharing your amazing story. And yeah, I I I see I see I, I see lots of successes and thank you positive energy coming. I need you to. Too. <laughs> yeah, you're doing a lot of great stuff. So so yeah, good luck with everything. And you, you probably don't need luck, but uh, still, I, I I like telling people, you know, good luck. And some people might think I don't need luck, but we need a little bit of luck. <laughs> it's kind though. I think you know, joy. Well, the last thing I'll say too is that when you're kind to someone, it can manifest up to three degrees. They did a study on that, and I'm like, well, then I'll take that because if I can receive it, then I can pass it on. So yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. No, good luck and uh, yeah. Thank All the you. Best. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of Mental Wealth Entrepreneurs Podcast. I hope you enjoyed this show. Please send me any comments or feedback. If you're an entrepreneur and want to share your story, please contact me. The link is in the podcast show notes. Also, please see the social media links and uh, links to offers from my guests on the podcast notes. This podcast is sponsored by Smart Octopus Voice Agency, who create chatbots and voice skills on Amazon Alexa and Google Assistant. So I'm really excited uh, to tell you that this podcast is now available as an Alexa skill. Uh, so you can search for 
resilient entrepreneur skill and enable it as a flash briefing. So that's all for me. Um, I wish I wish you good mental health and you are just one mind hack away. Till next time.